What we do here is go back, 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 back. Okay. This podcast is delicious. I'm glad you're here. I'm feeling particularly delicious. I'm one of the hosts. My name is Marco Timpano. Well, hello, Marco Timpano. My name is Ali Hassan. I don't know if I'm feeling delicious. Uh, you know what I'm going to say I am. I'm going to say I am. Why, 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 uh, why start a fight this early on in the, uh, in the podcast? Fair enough. I am feeling good, buddy. And, and, and we have a, a pretty cool episode today. Uh, because we have a pretty cool episode next week. You That's tell right. People about what we have, uh, what we have on dock here. Okay, so for people who are new to the podcast, this is a podcast about food and drink, uh, hosted by two comedians who happen to have worked a great deal in the industry. That's me and that's you because we don't have an intro right now on our, on our podcast. So I just figured I'd, I just kind of mentioned what it is. But like you said, Ali, we have a fantastic guest that we're going to be interviewing. His name is Bob Bloomer. And if you live in Canada in particular, you would have heard or seen him on television because he was the host and the, the person behind the Surreal Gourmet, Glutton for Punishment, World's Weirdest Restaurants. Did I say that right? World's weirdest. You did. Restaurant. What you said wrong was that if you lived in Canada, I mean, this guy has an, is an international force in the end. Uh, you're right. I apologize. You're right. Uh, like, I know that for me, he was one of the reasons why I fell in love with watching food on TV. Yeah. There's something very approachable about him. You know how when you watch these hosts of food shows, sometimes they can seem so false and insincere? Yeah, yeah. Bob Bloomer is the opposite. And I, I bumped into him once and he was he's just the nicest guy. Absolutely. And you know why he's such a great dude and so mm. down earth? Because he's from Montreal originally. Not one of these disgusting Torontonians who thinks that the world revolves around him. You know what or, I mean? Or one of these new, or one of these people from originally from New Brunswick who just shun the idea that that's where they're from, and they just I have no idea what you're even talking about okay. right now. Okay, okay. Um, but he's also can. Before we go forward, can I say that he has like a ton of cookbooks? And yes. here's the thing that that really struck me when I did a little bit of research into Bob Bloomer. Like he's the ambassador for Second Harvest in Toronto you know, uh, for food rescue and hunger relief. And he does a lot of stuff for, you know, food scarcity and, and wastage of food to, 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 to sort of tell the public how we can eat things and not throw stuff away that are, that are still great, you know? So, so there's things like that, which I really admire about this person. So I can't wait to ask him about stuff like that. Absolutely. Also a, um, a Guinness world record holder, he uh, he set the Guinness World Record in 2008, flipping 559 pancakes in one hour. And I think there was a salsa. Multiple. Uh, He's multiple Guinness. Yeah. yeah, Guinness Book holder. That's right. You're right. Right. These onions are involved. Rice. Uh, rice. Chopsticks. Yeah, right. like, yeah, it's I mean, crazy. It's crazy. He's had a crazy life. We're very excited to have him on the show. Uh, I have befriended him in Wolfville at the Devour Food and Film Festival, which I talk about. Uh, I'm not going to say ad nauseum, but I talk about it quite a bit. No, and it's I great. That you're you're and... promoting an awesome festival. Uh, Nothing I'm wrong with that, my friend. Promoted. I, I, I sing the praises of it yeah. uh, incessantly just because I, I believe in that festival so much and I have such a great time there. But Bob and I have befriended each other from from a few years of attending that together and, and hosting and moderating events. And um, I'm very happy he 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 volunteered to be on our podcast, and it's uh, it's a dream to like not have to go chase somebody, and they go, I'd like to be on that, would you? Fantastic. If you have uh, a question you want us to ask Bob, reach out to us on our social media handles at this podcast is delicious. Exactly right. Now um, he may. Um, yeah, that's right. Perfect. Great. I was okay. going to say he may not answer everything. No, fair enough. Right. He likes to be cheeky. But you should ask. That's where I'll leave I, that. I might claim your question as my own. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to give credit where credit is due. Oh, Mark. So, all right. So let's talk about. So you know, in anticipation of uh, Bob coming on the show and some of the shows he's hosted, particularly Glutton for Punishment, there was a lot of competitions and challenges. You know, uh, oyster shucking and like stuff with my God. I mean, he really put his. A glutton for punishment is one way of saying it, but he put himself in 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 harm's way uh, quite a bit. And sometimes it was, you know, learning just you know, teppanyaki. Sometimes it was oyster shucking. Sometimes it was, um, uh, you know, leading a, a barbecue cook-off. Uh, one time, he his challenge was to live on Guinness and Guinness alone for five days. Oh, my God. You can bet we're going to ask him about that. Um, but in anticipation of Bob and in honor of these competitions and challenges and all the rest of it. 
Marco and I are going to talk about our favorite, or um, I don't know if even favorite's the right word, some of the most interesting, fascinating, potentially disgusting uh, challenges and competitions that we've come across. So you're going to pick three. I'm going to pick three. And we're the ones that strike us, the ones that yeah. strike us most, man. Uh, before we get to those challenges, I have a correction to make from last week's show. So I said, yes, I said, I like the, I said, yes. What did you say, Marco? I incorrectly said in a moment of passion that the Zeppelin di San Giuseppe was made with pasta frolla. I meant to say shoe pastry. It wasn't coming to me. Pasta frolla is the Italian name for a uh, short cut, uh, sweet crust pastry. So I, I made a mistake there. So I'm just acknowledging my mistake. I made a mistake. I acknowledge by agreeing to co-host a show with Marco Timpano. Do you think it's easy working with this guy? Mistakes. Every week starts with an apology with this guy. It's enough with the mistakes, Marco. Listen, I, I own up to them. I don't hi- push I, them under the rug. That's true. I pretend that they never happened. We have All right, approaches. So, <laughs> let's get to our challenges, buddy. Do you want to take the first one or shall I? I'll take the first okay. one. You know, my uh, the first time I... Um, I heard about uh, a cheese-related challenges was when I was reading uh, a book by Peter Mayle. Do you know who Peter Mayle is, Marco? Uh, yeah, his name is spelled M-A-I-L-L-E, right? That is completely incorrect. Okay, so I that I don't know. to apologize to our audience next week for that as well. <laughs> Peter Mayle, M-A-Y-L-E, um, British author. Uh, he has a book called French Lessons with Knife, Fork, and Corkscrew. He was fascinated with uh, with life in France. And his the book he read, uh, the, sorry, the book he wrote, which was the first one I read and the only one I read, unfortunately, was called A Year in Provence. Okay. I was starting my own, uh, you know, level of interest with French food, particularly Provencal food. And uh, he had this book, A Year in Provence. My father gave it to me, which is a nice gift from my dad. It was in airports. Anytime you'd go into an airport bookstore, <laughs> it was always there front and center. Sure. And then he had like subsequent books, Toujours Provence, Encore Provence, mm-hmm. Hostel pa- Hotel Pastille, these kinds of things. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff about um, uh, cuisine, okay. wine, uh, sometimes dog, a dog's life. That might be about food, too. I'm not sure. sure. But in a year in Provence, he talked about these cheese competitions. And I was just so taken by I was like, what? I'm I'm here like a schlub, you know, sifting through what cheese I can afford in the market. And these people are just like shoving it in their mouth for competition's sake. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that it existed. And it painted a picture of this like crazy fantasy world for me. Anytime you can, um, you know, compete for your cheese uh, with cheese as the thing. I, I always thought that was interesting. Then in, in recent years, I came across this other competition. And if you've watched this show on... Um, on Netflix recently, uh, the show is called We Are the Champions. We Are the Champions, and I believe it was the first episode. It's a cheese rolling yeah. um, competition in Gloucester, in the UK, uh, and 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 you know the fact that this exists is just more proof that people in England are deeply, deeply miserable and just need anything to be happy about uh, to, to to feel alive because. How dangerous! This is very com- a very compelling episode, by the way. On yeah, this you, show. you make it sound like they're just rolling cheese down a, like a, a little tiny hill. No, this is like a steep, crazy cliff type hill. This is. They roll the cheese down and then they race after it. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever been. Have you ever been like a runaway train on a path, uh, Marco? I was I, actually last year it happened to me. I, I've tumbled down a hill or two in my day. So I didn't tumble. But I've never been more scared. I, I kind of like, I was trying to slowly come down. It's called Centennial Park. It's this park near our home. Then slowly kind of come down. And then I got speed and the whoa, 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 whoa. And then I was sprinting faster than I've ever moved on two feet. And I was yelling at the top of my lungs, ah! Because I didn't know what was going to happen. And these two women were at the bottom just sort of staring up at me. They just stopped with their dog. They just stopped and looked at me like, who is this Luna? Is he running after us? Is this man going to attack us? I, I'm was... sure you were running in in a very elegant way. Like no. I'm sure it looked. No, it looked as awful as you can imagine it looking. And I was like, I never want to want that to happen again. That was the most frightening thing that's ever happened. I never lost. Like you're going through your mind. Should I just go on my stomach? Should I just fall to right. avoid actually really damaging anything? And um, 
my sons came downstairs and they were like, Papa, what was that? I was like, uh, Papa lost uh, control there for me. Let's let's uh, let's not tell your mother about this. Uh, but I was like in some real trouble. I've never moved that fast. Wow. And um, gravity, eh? Gravity. Who who knew, buddy? Who knew? <laughs> they don't teach this stuff in school, Marco. And so watching this competition and watching people do this intentionally, watching some of them train for it after having injured themselves quite badly, like what would could be considered career-ending uh, uh, you know, injuries in any other sport, watching these guys roll, yeah. run down, and eventually fall, and sometimes you can fall. Pro- I mean, just look up downhill cheese chasing or cheese competition England, and you will see this mayhem i don't know what other word to use it's complete mayhem it's insanity people seriously injure themselves in this competition every year yeah and and for the first time i thought to myself the cheese is not worth it no no but i do encourage people to uh, you know to, to 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 look at that if they if they are the type who would get into that but more up my alley okay I did find sort of the antidote to that competition. Uh, antidote might not be the right word, but a calmer, more um, non-injurious way of, uh, of of engaging in a cheese contest. So Livaro, have you ever heard of Livaro? No, I haven't. So Livaro is a type of cheese in France, uh, Normandy, uh, from the Normandy region. It a Norman cheese, if you will. A Norman cheese, if you will. Uh, Normandin, if you will, as well. It's about 100 years old. It's a um, very interesting look. It's called the kernel, the colonel, because it, the way it's squeezed together with the rind looks like it has uh, like a kernel's, you know, um, stripes. I like imagine much like the French, it has a bit of stink to it. It has a tiny bit of stink to it, based on what I'm reading here. I don't know why you had to go that way. I thought we were focused mainly on Celtic Itali- Italians on the show, but and the British, of course. Spread but the yes. love. Spread the love. Spread the, or the love hate. Everywhere. Spread the hate in this case. Um, so this cheese, which is, uh, you know, uh, not pre- what what I'm seeing is it's not particularly stinky. It's a nice cheese. Sure. Uh, or it's. Um, there's a Livero cheese fair that you okay. can read about. And, you know, people casually go through the fair enjoying the aromas of the cheese and other um, produce at the fair. But at that fair, they also have a uh, a little competition. And that competition, which is an eating contest, the goal is to eat 750 grams of Livero cheese as quickly as possible. Okay. Now, if you see the pictures of Livero, it's a pretty, like, uh, you know a dense, creamy kind of thing. I mean, that's already, to me, that's pushing the limit. Like if I won it, I wouldn't eat it for another six months. I, I need see. The, the time to heal those wounds. But the record, what do you think the record is? Let's say I told you 750, a um, a stronger, slightly stronger brie. Okay. How quickly could you eat that, Marco? I mean, I'm, I, I would say I can eat, I can eat some brie. I, I would say I could I could make that happen. Nobody's doubting that, Marco. What I'm asking you is how quickly could you eat an entire 750-gram wheel? So, so what's the size of a 750 wheel? It's about the size of a, of a let's say, a salad plate? Sure, sure. Okay, That's, about right. That's right, about right. That's about right. Give me 12 minutes and I can down that. <laughs> you, sir, are no record holder. Because the record set in 2012 is one minute and 51 seconds. I just want to throw it out there. That's insanity, but that's the type of insanity I can deal with. Okay. You know what I mean? That's not that's not rolling down a hill and coming home and explaining to your children why you'll never be able to pick them up again. Um, Listen, I could I'm eat. I could role. certainly eat that in two minutes, but it would come out of me in two minutes too. So I, I'm I wanna, not sure they I, I, you know, look, frown look, upon that. No, there better I'm be saying, bathrooms look. at the Livero Cheese Fair is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you know, my thing is these competitions, my friend, you're not enjoying the food. It's just a, a question of your stomach endurance, your uh, ability to, to bypass your vomit reflexes. You know, yeah. that's what's it's going on It's often a here. pissing contest, yeah. which... That's not why I. Uh, that's not why I got into this food game, my friend. Yeah, and I think neither did you. But anyway, we share these. We share this information with people. Do, you know, do with do with it what you will. Either you travel right to Normandy, or you just read about it, or you maybe you uh, you start training, and next year you're on that hill, 
flipping your body down, hurling your body down at light speed for a wheel of cheese? Well, if we're starting with our appetizer, which, with, which is cheese in this case, I'm going to bring a challenge to you that you may have heard of. And this isn't going to involve beverage. This is going to involve a drink. Okay. So have you been to the Yukon, my friend? I have not been to the oh, Yukon, buddy. Oh, that, 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 that has yet to come. I was booked there, and right. that's why you think I have, Yeah, because I was booked. We had a date, and then uh, a little thing called COVID oh, I see stopped happened. me from... Right. Uh, I'm starting to call it COVID. It sounds more sexy and less uh, less PTSD-ish. Okay, fair enough. COVID. Well, I, I'm hoping... <laughs> sounds like a festival. That, well, I, yeah. I have that coming up. But um, when you go, my friend, if you go to Dawson City in the Yukon, I suggest you try the Sour Toe Cocktail. Now, you might be saying, what is the Sour Toe Cocktail? Well, there's a there's a restaurant or a saloon, I guess you would say. A Sourdough Saloon is the name of the, uh, name of the place where you can get this very particular cocktail. And what it is, my friend, is they have a dehydrated human toe, which they keep in a jar of alcohol. And you can drink... A shot with a toe, with a human toe in it. Ah, thank God. Now there's, there's, thank God I can do that. There's five steps to this particular uh, procedure. Oh, I should have said trigger warning. At this point, it's too late, uh, and uh, you're, you're in it now. <laughs> How thoughtful. <laughs> so you go to the sourdough saloon, and you ask By for- By the way, you're saying sourdough, but I think you've gone into the bread word. It's it, bread world. It's a sour toe saloon, right? No, it's the Sour Dough Saloon where you can get the Sour Toe Cocktail. I all right? see. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right, so it's a little right. bit it's a little bit of a kerfuffle in your mind when you're trying to think. But you're going to okay. – I don't think there's that many sour I, – I don't think there's that many saloons in Dawson City that you won't miss it. And I'm sure if you say, where can I get the Toe Cocktail, they'll point you in the right direction. Great. So you go to the Sour Dough Saloon. You ask for Captain River Rat. I guess he's the bartender. I guess he's the guy who runs the place. I guess he is the keeper of the toe. And you purchase a shot. Most people will have Yukon Jack, which is a honey Canadian whiskey. Um, and then you pledge the sour toe oath. You watch as the dehydrated toe is dropped into your drink. And step five, you drink that bad boy back. And the rule is, and I quote, you can drink it fast. You can drink it slow. But your lips have got to touch the toe. That's so there you go. Place. So that's 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 a challenge out there for people who are adventurous and are like, you know what? I'm here once. People have been doing it. I'm going to I'm going to give it a try. Now, I ask you, my friend, would you indulge in the sour toe cocktail? I'm going to tell you what. Yeah. Short answer is yes. OK. Um, wait, wait, is that the short answer? I guess it seems pretty short to me. Long answer is yes. Okay. Short answer is no. Because okay. the short answer is me sitting here in, uh, you know, the, the comfort of my home thinking about would I ever, of course, that's gross. It's a toe. But the long answer is I'm in Dawson City. Maybe I'm there for a comedy festival. I'm with great people. We've had a lot of drinks. Sure. We're enjoying our life. You're embracing the city and everything it has to offer. You've met some wonderful people and somebody suggests it. Maybe somebody does it before you do it. And you go, you know what? Let's just do it. I've been in those situations enough right. times where I come back home and my wife's like, what did you do? I'm like, you weren't there. You weren't there. I know on paper here in our home, that does not make sense. But once you're in the city, so Probably yes. Okay, there you go. Now, if you saw the toe, it's like really dried and black and looks like something that, you know, when they uncover a man or woman from, you know, a thousand years ago and they sure. look all shriveled and dry. That's kind of what the toe looks like. You know, Marco, the less it looks like an actual human toe, the, the better. better for me, okay. the better chances that I'm going to touch it with my lips. You're Where are you going on that? Are you a no-go on the toe? You know, I'd like to think I'm a no-go, but I'm also the type of, I've had to kill worms. I've had things that are kind of like that repulse some people. And I feel like I would do it. I feel like I would do yeah. it just to say I've done it. I think I've had friends do, I actually know I have friends do it. I think Daniela Blascalic did it. You know, people have done it and survived. I think I would do it. Good for you. Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. All right. Now. I'd like to know your thoughts on this next thing that I'm going to talk about, which is something very, very well known across the world. Um, it's the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. It's a competitive hot dog eating 
competition, uh, competitive competition. It's a competition. Sure, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, every year it's held in um, in uh, a, a neighborhood of Brooklyn. Coney Island? or In a restaurant, oh, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, Kobayashi, a guy named Takeru, the Tsunami Kobayashi yes. has become, you know, people know his name, even if they don't know anything about hot dog eating per se. And then, of course, Joey Chestnut. Joey, the Jaws chestnut has been um has also uh you know he's no schlub he's the defending men's champion and in 2021 he ate 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes that's the key that's the competition right. you have 10 minutes and how many can you shove in your mouth in 10 minutes um what always shocked me the most because i had read and heard about the competition before i had seen it in youtube and all that was the bodies of the people in these competitions overall pretty lean. Right. I'm in worse shape than most of these people. Yes. And that was actually very upsetting to me. Uh and 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 just shocking, you know? And and so then you then you really, in my case, anyway, get a little bit more interested in how is this possible, what they do. And there is something very fascinating about it. I find it completely disgusting. Yes. Uh, but I also, it's just so fascinating that like, if I eat two hot dogs at a barbecue uh, on a, on a summer, on a, on a, on a weekend in a summer, I feel awful. Right. My wife makes me feel worse. I feel bad. I'm like, Oh God, two hot dogs is over the limit for me. That's too much. How are these guys doing this? And what happens to them afterwards? Can you do? So I found it pretty interesting to, um, to, uh, to 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 look into and of course there's there's this comedic element as well you know what you win in the end the way wrestlers have their belt you have this mustard yellow belt that's bejeweled um the belt is of unknown age and value they say but but you know for those who have the belt it's a huge deal of course and you get some cash prizes obviously uh, the winners but it's um I don't know. I find it very, very interesting. And, and of course, it, it gave me an appreciation of uh, the Japanese. And, you know, there's a lot of competitive eating in Japan as well that I didn't know about until about 10 years yes. ago when this first came across my radar. And um, <laughs> there's also uh, the uh, Pepto-Bismol sponsored pink belt that you oh, uh, that you can win in the women's the Nathan's hot dog eating contest for women uh, that started in, in, in 2011. I love how of all the wonderful things that Japan has contributed to the world, you became fascinated in Japan and what they've contributed from a uh, gorging no, contest. Sir. No, sir. Okay. No, sir. That's what it sounded like to me. I was fascinated by the Japanese forever for all the classic things. Okay. Food, technology, uh, a, a very serene approach to life, the martial arts, right? All these things that have come across my radar in my 30-something years of existence. And then by the time I was in my mid-30s, I hear about hot dog eating, look into it. It's a huge thing, the whole competitive game thing. There's also some things I don't get into in Japan, sure. which are the game shows. You can't, you have to put a gun to my head to make me watch a Japanese game show. Right. But, but you know, I'm just saying that that was an additional thing that I knew I see, nothing I see. about. Okay. I even knew about Japanese metal, bro. Now I can't remember the band's names. But when I was into metal as, a, as an older teenager in my young 20s, there were like some really like hardcore metal bands out of Japan. So I've, I've had much appreciation and, of course, film as well. Sure, sure. Japanese film, the first film class I ever took in college. Uh, featured, um, uh, shit, this is the part you have to, uh, God damn it. I'm not editing anything at this Come point. Out. You say it, <laughs> you're saying all these things as if it's, it's, as if you know it. And then you're like, but truly comes down to, to hot dogs. Akira, Akira Kurosawa. Yeah, we sure. Kurosawa Only the in... most famous Japanese. I couldn't remember his name because I have Kobayashi's name okay. in my, and, and I have hot dogs on the brain now. Okay, buddy. okay, okay. Let me live, huh? Give me okay. Fair enough. So okay, I will grant you that you your knowledge of Japan and, and what Japan has contributed to the world goes beyond just food competition. Oh, big time! But food competition is this new thing. But anyway, I find it uh, quite disgusting and fascinating. Uh, I'm sure if you know, uh, you've seen that the hot dogs—they're not super hot. You're allowed to use condiments; right. they almost never do. Right. Um, most of the contestants have water on hand. Sometimes you can dunk the, the This the, is just the hot gross, man. I, it's gross when you watch it, but to hear it described, it, it 
it almost brings another element of grossness to it. Yeah, yeah. Dude, uh, if you're not disgusted by 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes, yeah. I don't like, I don't know who you are. And, but, but sometimes you watch things that do gross you out. Right. So, well, I mean, my, and, and, and yellow cards, yeah. yellow cards can be issued for quote unquote messy eating and red penalty cards can be issued for reversal of fortune. And I'm sure you know what a reversal of fortune is. It's what I would do after my third hot dog. Oh man. This is just because, you know, I was introduced to this as a kid. When I watched a Bill Murray film called Meatballs, have you ever seen that film, my friend? Sure, man. I forgot that that I, but I'm, you know, I must have assumed that 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 was something that they did for the movie, not something that existed in real life. But of course, well, that's you know, what I would have been introduced to. It that's too. the first time I saw it. And I was fascinated by it, right? Because they have a competition between the two. It's a it's a summer film about camps and and camping. It's a it's a fun little film. But um, one of the people in the camp is competing for that camp at this food eating competition. I believe it was hot dogs. Mm. And then he falls with two hot dogs in his hand and hot dogs in his mouth and he wins. Right. Spoiler alert there. Um, but, but yeah, like it's, I've been fascinated about this and, you know, watching these food competitions, you're just mesmerized by what the human body can do. It's insanity. Yeah. It's insanity. So anyway, I, if you did not know, and I think everybody did, uh, as I say, their their body types and their stories and their training. Because you know, when you train for a when you train for a marathon, Marco, you 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 know, a marathon is um is 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 twenty one. A full marathon is whatever it is twenty one twenty one. Clearly, we 40, have not either of us. Pardon me. Pardon me. It's forty forty kilometers. Okay. right? Forty two kilometers. I did a half marathon at 21. That's you can just I'm double that number confused. then, my friend. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's the math on that. Times two? Is that how it works? Right. right. My God. That's worse than Kurosawa right there. So a marathon, 42 yes. kilometers. Nobody ever trains 42 kilometers for their marathon, right? They they train up to like 35-ish. And then they... Uh, they they chill out for a couple of days, let their body heal, and then they go and they anticipate that the sheer adrenaline and joy and ecstasy no. and all these other feelings sure. of the day will push them to 42. Because if you train at 42, you can burn out. Right. Uh, does that mean, and I'd like an answer to this, mm -hmm. that Joey Chestnut is regularly eating 50 hot dogs in 10 minutes. He'll never do his 72. He'll never do his record holding, you know, right. but is he, is he regularly shut? Like, how do you train? Look, if you're doing this as a one-off, that's gross enough. But the fact that you're training for this is something else. Altogether. Also, I just can't wrap what about the hot dog size? Cause I imagine the hot dog size that you get at certain competitions are going to be different. Like for example, if you're having hot dogs in Japan, you might, might not be getting the Nathan's hot dogs that you're going to be eating right. at the competition in Brooklyn. Right. So, so, you know, there's those, those factors to look into as well. I wonder if it's uh if it's a standardized hot dog size. I just find it funny that we're talking seriously about yeah. this, but I, I do wonder if it's standardized across all eating competitions globally. Otherwise, you know what happens? Americans find out that Joey Chestnut doesn't do well when he's in Japan. Why? Because the hot dogs are different. So, oh, that's not fair. Right, right. We have to, right? The Americans, why are you I imagine the Americans? in my mind. Why, why the Americans? Why, why? I imagine they would have been like, we need to level the score here. No, we need I, to make everything. I, I don't that's know. I, I give credit. To, listen, if you have a, send your emails to Ali Hassan at this podcast. It's delicious. Yeah. No. Or, or hold on on that because in a minute or two, Marco will say something uh, deeply uh, offensive. Oh, I've already received five from our us. French <laughs> listeners and, and this, this hasn't even aired yet. <laughs> Okay. So, they just know. They can They just know. It. They can tell. Here we go. Okay. So are you done with your hot dogs? I am. Great. Great. Okay. So I'm going to take you to, uh, you know, this is ine inevitable in every episode. I'm going to take you to Italy now. No, really? <laughs> yeah. So have you ever heard of a sagra? Nothing to do with sangre. Nothing to do with blood. No, no. Because no. there's no N. I don't know if you heard me. I didn't pronounce an N. In I there. thought your nose was blocked and you were trying to, I don't know what's happening. Okay. Yeah. So Sa a sagra, sagra is a local festival that usually takes place in a piazza or a field in Italy. And it's sagra just means festival or no, fair. No, it right? doesn't. No. I'll get there. I'll get to the etymology in a moment, but it's people, dedicated. Uh, people are, people are very anxious to hear. I'm getting, I'm getting some notes. Okay. Right okay. Here. So, I'm okay. Let me get to yeah. that then. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll deviate here. <laughs> sagra comes from the Latin word sagrare, which means to constant consecrate 
Okay, sacrare means to consecrate. We get the word sagra with a G. And we then come to know it as a local festival in a small town in Italy, usually in the piazza or in a field dedicated to either a saint or food. And it's, this gets less interesting with every single description of it, well, but but it's a festival at yeah, the end of the day. It's a festival. Okay. It's either a religious festival or a food festival in a small town, and its roots are from pagan fest, uh, festival traditions uh, celebrating the harvest. However, this is where it'll hopefully get interesting. When you're in Italy in the summertime and you're driving along and you pass small towns, you will see signs that say, Sagra della Lumaca, Sagra del Fragola, and it's these these festivals. Lumaca and Fragola are cities. No, so those are those are food this... items. Lumaca is snails, so it would be oh. the Sagra of the snail or Sagra of the strawberry, and okay. almost any food item you can imagine. The Sagra of the white truffle, if you're in Piemonte, a food item that is sort of well known in that area will have a festival dedicated to that food. And what happens is you walk around. And you you see communal tables and you'll get food items made with that. So you might get like a strawberry dessert, a strawberry appetizer, strawberry drink. If it's the, it happens to be the Sagra of the Strawberries, there's a ballroom and a dance floor there. They have evening performances with bands. Uh, you know, it becomes this whole big celebration of that food item. And it's something that. not to be missed. And it's fascinating because as you drive in the summertime, you'll see festivals from town to town of different food items. And you're like, oh, do we want to go to the Chestnut Festival in or Chestnut Sagra in two weeks time? Or do we want to go to the Sagra of Porcini in a week time? Right. And you'll mm. see these all across uh, the country. And I happen to go to one in my mother's hometown or near my mother's hometown, which was the Sagra del Vino or the wine festival in Casarsa in northern Italy. I have never been more smashed in my life. Yeah, that's amazing. I happened to go there with our friend Loretto, our wine expert oh, that comes in. Gosh. And we ended up in a field on our backs for most of the night with music blaring and people dancing around us because yeah. we got so hammered. Because the problem is the people in those areas are used to eating that food item, right? So yeah. they can handle it in a way that we can't. And we were drinking wine from that area. And it just hit us really hard, and it was a I fantastic time. But yeah, sagra or sagres is the plural form of it, is something not to be missed. And it's a very particular type of festival that you find in Italy. I've actually been to one, buddy. Oh, you as have? You, as, yeah, I have been to a sagre. Uh, it was called Poutine Fest, okay. and it was in Woodbridge. Woodbridge. Um, different kinds of poutine from all sure. different uh, you know, purveyors of poutine and... Um, it's not the same. I recognize that it's not the same sure. as what you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, I do love the idea of um, one festival for one product just done differently, different approaches. to. I really, really like it. It's that. a celebration of that one item and what it means yeah. to that town or that area. And like, you know, you go to Piemonte, you'll see it for, for hazelnuts. You'll see it for uh, truffles. You'll see it for chestnuts and other areas. You'll see it for... You know, things that you might not even be aware of, anchovies or little mm. fish that are found in, in rivers and, and lakes in the area. It's it's really f cheeses. You name it, there's a sagra for you. Buddy, I would just go on a, a sagra trip, just festival to festival to festival, getting a different food, celebrating. What a party that would be. Exactly. What a jam that would be. I would just probably ease up on my alcohol consumption. I remember the buzz I got off grappa, having never had it before. Pretty intense. Yeah, fair enough. It's not yeah. It's not for the weak of heart, that's for sure. Take it easy. Mm -hmm. I handled it. No, but I'm like, my face got flushed and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you handled it well. Yeah. Speaking of faces getting flushed. Okay. Um, This is a competition when I was a young man, when I was a younger oh, I fella, okay. I thought I would definitely be in one of these. You know, when, when you have, when you're very naive and don't know what something, what really goes into something, you think like, oh yeah, I for, for sure um, be in hot sauce oh, and chili okay. eating competitions. I mean, you're, you're a naive South Asian man who thinks because you've had green chilies and you can handle them, that you can handle all chilies. Next thing you know, you make some Jamaican and Trinidadian friends and you try habaneros and scotch bonnet peppers and you're like, I've been a fool my entire life. Not only that, 
you try a jalapeno, like a hot jalapeno, a Mexican, like a killer jalapeno, and you're like, this is even hotter than what we've been eating in India and Pakistan. Next thing you know, you try some peppers from India itself, but from the south of India, and you're like, oh my God, my face is on fire. I think I'm going to die. And you're like, I've been, I've been fooling myself my entire life thinking that my little green chili, or you have these Thai red, you know, the, the, the bird's eye chilies, and that floors you. So my life has actually been a series of, I can probably take it, and then eating it and eating more than I should have. And then uh, much like yourself, lying down in the grass and wondering, uh, where did it all go wrong? Right. I'm an idiot. And um, I, I don't regret anything. You know, I'm here. I live to tell the tale. But these competitions are something else completely. This, sure. these, these competitions are attended by people who um, who have no soul, Marco. <laughs> There's something that has died inside them. Sure. Uh, they were hurt by somebody deeply and they need to get back to feeling whole again. And uh, I'll tell you what I'm talking about here. So there's a guy. And again, this was one of the episodes of We Are, we Are the Champions. I found it unwatchable. Myself and my two sons started watching it together. My younger son, who was six at the time, bailed. I, who was not six at the time, bailed about two thirds of the way sure. through. And then my my older son, who would have been eight or nine, watched the entire thing and said he regretted watching the entire thing. Because you, just to give you an idea, I, I really like this headline. The Guardian um, did a little piece on competitive hot chili eating competitions. And the quote was, it smelled like pain and regret. Man, when you see these people and they're, they're in the middle of eating these hot, hot, hotter than you can imagine items. Yeah. It's like there's an echo of evil inside them. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Is your bravery with chilies and peppers indicative of the people you're with at the time? Of course. So for example, if I'm out with some course. Irish people, I'm going to say at the table, oh, I can eat hot, bring on the hot, no problem. But if I'm out with you, I wouldn't dare say that. Yeah. But for every me, yeah. there's a hundred like graduated me's from right. the school of like who you know, and I you know I, I always fool because I make my own pepper sauces yes. and I make my own you know from various Scotch bonnet and habanero and different chili, but but every month at least I meet somebody who gives me something that I just can't handle a Cali uh, can't uh, Carolina handle. Reaper. We haven't been down that path, okay. and that's been very... You know, there was a time, I don't know if you were uh, involved in this uh, world, but there was a time where all these hot sauces came yeah. to market, and they had those names, Ass in Space, and yep. like, Burn So Good, and this And the idea was, you put a, a dot, you know, like a Q-tip, tip-sized sure. dot on a tortilla chip, and that's what you eat. And I made the decision then, I was like, oh, I don't particularly care for this yes this gives me no excitement right this is not what I, I want to be able to make a curry goat with a certain number of fresh uh scotch bonnet peppers sure. that by the third bite pretty much everybody eating is like whoo and there's a little bit of sweat coming off right. your head but you're still enjoying it People start talking a little. I'm just, my mouth is watering as I talk about it. People start talking a little faster. Their movements get a little bit more animated. Sure. And it's like, for me, it's the party starter, right? But when you have it that hot and that killer, it's kind of the party ender. Yeah, and you're right. I, I just, I, I'm talking about chili competitions, but I don't enjoy them. And look at this quote from uh, from um, and when you Dustin, the Atomic Menace Johnson. So he has a quote where he said, uh, you know, he's talking about while he was like live live streaming some Guinness record uh, uh, Guinness record holding or achieving. I don't know how to say it. Sure. He downed 122 Carolina Reapers. No, man. And he says this is his quote. He goes, I would say anywhere after 60. Every few peppers I would eat, I would say, I don't know if I can keep going. Oh, my God. 
After What's this guy's 60. name? The Iron Bowel? What's his name? The because... Atomic Menace. Okay. Dustin the Atomic Menace Johnson. And he is on that Netflix, uh, an episode of the Netflix show where they go to the, you know, watch the hot, um, the, the, the chili eating competition. And, and they, uh, the guy who hosts it does have that evil who lives inside him. Yeah. He loves seeing people yeah. suffer. And he he came off a little bit of a, you know, a sick person. And just for clarity for anyone listening, we're not talking about chili con carne. We're not talking about chili the dish. We're talking about chili peppers, hot peppers here. Yeah. Eating them just as they are, not eating yes. them as an accompaniment. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. Raw, just biting it within three, four bites right off the stem. And I don't know, even the pictures online... Of that show, remind me of watching that show, and yeah. I'm like, I can't see. I can't see, I can't do that. But you know what I would love to do with you? You know, there's this guy who hosts, and you're going to help me out because I'm sure you'll know what it is. Where he has a celebrity, and they eat a sure, wing. hot ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and they, it grows over and, time. Yeah, yeah, you kind of work your way up to the hottest wing. You either have to answer question, answer a question, or eat a hot wing or something like that. That's yeah. something I could get behind. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. I've watched, uh, I've watched that one a little bit more uh, with 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 more interest. You know, he, um, I think it's Sean Evans. He uh, basically he takes you on a journey, yeah. right? You're talking, you're you're you're, and 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 I just as I just told you, what I really like is this idea of like the dinner party and the hot sauce, right? It makes people totally. chattier and it contributes to the conversation and all that kind of stuff. Um, even though we are having a conversation about the atomic menace sure. right now, but I can't, uh, I can't find it in my heart anywhere to say, I still respect what he does. I, I just, I'm, I'm baffled by it. I'm, uh, you know, an uncomfortable by it. Yeah. And I just don't, I don't know how to understand why you'd be in a chili eating competition. No, 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 I can't. I, I, the only way I can see it is, you know, when you watch, you know, those people who are driving they, and they really look to see an accident that goes by those rubberneckers. Sure. It's got that kind of weird appeal to it where it's like. It does, but it's still a half an hour of rubbernecking. That's yeah. a lot of rubbernecking. Yeah, it definitely is. But uh, one, one thing, you know, it's interesting. You talked, you were talking about these chilies and it came to mind and it has nothing to do with competitions, but why don't we eat more hot stuff in the winter? Like, are, why aren't we eating hot wings and hot barbecue in the winter when everyone's cold. I feel like it's so associated with summer dishes. It is here, yeah. my friend, but across the world, like in Sri Lanka and yeah. Trinidad and Jamaica and Thailand, they're still eating hot stuff in the winter. But their winters because are their mild. Winter. I mean, exactly. here in Canada, that's what we should be eating. It should be like, you know what we're doing? We're eating extra hot wings this January 15th to celebrate the coldest day of the year. There is a physiological reason uh, connected to it. But also, uh, just FYI, I am eating plenty of hot in the winter. Mm. So if you miss it, you come to my house. Okay, okay. Okay, I will answer this question, Marco. And by the way, we eat spicy food all year sure. round in, in my house. And, and also they do that in climates which are hot all year round, as you know. But here's the thing. There is a physiological thing happening. When you eat spicy food, that hot temperature of the food or that, that, that spice of the sure. food, it's going to warm up your stomach and your, 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 uh, your, your blood. And it'll cause your brain to tell your body to sweat. And that sweating then cools you down. Oh, right. The sweating is a reaction. So that's why in hot climates, uh, the spicy food now, if you ever take a look at me on a hot day eating hot food, you're like, that guy is not being cooled down. Mm -hmm. Like his body's trying, but it's not working. But also hot peppers work on your heat receptors that are in your skin to trigger more sweating as well. So uh, spicy food is a double sweat whammy is okay. what they say here in this article. And then um, and then the sweating is supposed to cool you down. You know, it's supposed to. I will often go for hot food, spicy food, I should say, spicy food, when I'm feeling under the weather. If I feel yes. a cold coming on, we go for Korean hot uh, spicy food or we go Absolutely. for some spicy food. And, I, and while I don't pretend to be a doctor like yourself, I've always found that that is an effective method to fight whatever you're, whatever you're finding. Doctor of love. Yeah. You know that I actually... This is inconceivable now, but yeah. I remember going to this Korean restaurant and I told the guy, I'm not feeling very well. Do you have, and imagine now during like with COVID to go to a restaurant and say, I'm not feeling well, that's inconceivable. But this was like 2018, 2017. I said, listen, man, I'm, 
I'm not feeling great. Uh, a little bit congested. Sure. So anything you, you know, could recommend. And he recommended this like kimchi soup. And it was, <laughs> it was like a great experience. I felt, I felt transformed and a completely different person for about six hours. Oh, wow. And then I felt like crap again. But uh, the point was, it's like, it's, it, it, it serves the same purpose as like these um, various drugs. The, um, you know, what is it called that you squirt in your nose what are those um like decongestants oh, or decongestants okay. is the word i this is how long it's been since i've been sick don't sure. even know the yeah. word decongestants um but yeah I, spicy food can be a great decongestant also sometimes that brain fog that you have yeah. uh that'll disappear pretty quick <laughs> if what you're eating is spicy enough well there you go listen it, i'm gonna i'm gonna end my three with two things, one thing I love and one thing I hate. So when it comes to competitions, I cannot get enough of the great British baking show. Mm. I love that show. I've implored you to watch it. You look at me like I'm an idiot and you don't watch this show. That brings me quite a quite a great deal of, of joy and happiness and calmness. It has great hosts. And what I love about this particular show is you get these everyday people from across Britain we have a Canadian version, so it's a people from across Canada. Um, and they're just cooking. They're just baking for the love of baking. There's no huge prize money. You win a plate. That's about it. Everyone is supportive of each other. No one's kind of using sharp elbows, uh, elbows to to edge their, their you know, competitor out. out. They're very right. supportive. It's a really wonderful, beautiful show. And um, especially during times of stress, there's nothing I enjoy more than looking at these great baking shows. So I, I that's one thing I love, my friend. Yeah, I bet. I, I can see exactly what you say. I've never watched the baking shows. I've never been that big into baking, but I have no doubt that it would be a calming. I, you know, the way you describe it, I assumed it had a big competitive element to it. So it's a lot of rushing around like I can't find the vanilla essence or what I thought it would can you, be similar to that. Can you do me one favor and just watch an episode? A random episode. It's on Netflix. You know, you can get it. You know, it's it's an hour of your time, but but it's a lifetime of joy. British baking show in particular is what you're referring to. Yeah, I think I think. Listen, the Canadian one is fantastic as well, but I think you need to start from where it was born. Okay. Okay. That's the thing I love. Now, here's a competition or a challenge that I really hate, and for our listeners, you might be familiar with it. It's called "What's in Marco's Mouth," and it's this devious thing that Ali came up with because of alliteration that always makes me look like an asshole because it seems like I'm the person who thinks I have the most, you know, sincere palate where I can detect any food item. But he simply came up with it when we were doing the podcast because it sounded better with the name Marco in it. So we we started this thing called "What's in Marco's Mouth," where I'm blindfolded and I have to eat a food item and identify what it is it is a joy for listeners every single week that they hear it we haven't done one in a while we haven't been in each other's presence mm-hmm. and it's been a coordinating thing we tried to continue doing it with marco's wife uh shoving um random things in his mouth and i and, thought it would uh, be better it was worse it, it was, was worse. worse and so you, she put for the rest of she us. once put dirt in my mouth do you remember she put aloe straight from the plant that she got with a bit of dirt in my mouth. That was my wife. That was my my wife's contribution to that particular segment. (laughs) From from a a relationship perspective, it was very unhealthy for the two of you as well. But once we're back in person, which I don't know, maybe soon enough, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe over the summer, we'll feel some, some comfort to be in each other's uh, presence in this uh, studio of yours, which is uh, it's a tight squeeze. It it's is a great t- studio, but uh, anything that one person has, the other person's getting in that studio, yeah. right? It's yeah. not we're not it's not um, separated by a, a glass partition with the you know the it's director the, on one end. It's it's a nice intimate studio. It's the size of a coffin with twelve foot ceilings. That's what it is. So you're basically in a coffin sized space with a seven foot ceiling. That's it. That's it. That's that's the studio. Yeah, and who wants to be fed dirt in a coffin? Well, that's our that's our take on that stuff, then, eh? On on challenges and, and what competitions. a Canadian way to wrap up the yeah. show. That's our take, eh? That is our take, eh? And uh, and I'm all of this was in anticipation of Bob Bloomer's yes. uh, arrival on the show next week, next episode, 
and uh, he'll have much more insight on uh, on all these different um, competitions and challenges that he's been a part of, and uh, and why he's done them. Yes, you know he uh, he's like inspired to create in a way that, uh, that, that, that you don't see very often. He loves creating content constantly. And, and we'll also ask him what he's been doing uh, through the pandemic, because this has been a guy who just has to stay busy. Yeah. He can't not be busy. And his content is unique, unique content. I have to say like really fascinating content. Um, before we go, I want to mention something. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Laurel has agreed to let us mention her son, who was born during our episodes during the pandemic. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Because of our episodes, he was born. He was born. His name is Bo. And I just want to say a, this podcast is delicious. Welcome to Bo and how much we treasure having Bo as a new listener to the podcast. Buddy, I love it. Bo, I don't know if you're a B-O or a B-E-A-U. I'm going to go B. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Laurel, I'm I'm a big fan of yours, but I want you to know that in my brain, when I say Bo, I'm going to think Bo Bridges and B-E-A-U, as in the first four letters of the word, beautiful. That's what there I'm going to do. There you go. But it'll still sound like Bo. Yeah, It'll still listen. sound like Bo. Nobody gets harmed in the making of this Bo here. Laurel, for our listeners, has been uh, a fan of the show and also an uh, uncredited producer. As she, Documentarian and producer, exactly. Who who has told us the episodes that we talk that we're talk about doing that we haven't done yet? So we'll we'll be attacking a lot of those uh, in this season. I don't think we're guilty of that today. We stayed on track. Today. We tried to. Anyways. Hey, listen, this was a fun episode. I, I learned I learned something. I got to get things off my chest, and uh, you know, who knows? I might have a petrified toe in a drink sometimes. So. Good for you, buddy. Good for you. Way to live. Way to live your life. All right. Well, thank you for listening. This has been This Podcast is Delicious. Marco, tell people where they can uh, find us and connect with us also. Uh, if you want to email us, thispodcastisdelicious at gmail.com. Otherwise, look at it, look for our social media, which is at thispodcastisdelicious. Thanks for listening. <laughs>